Well, hello, Watermark. Welcome to the great coronavirus Bible study of 2020. Uh, we already have had a great conversation talking offline a little bit about some very time-sensitive and relevant conversations, but now we're going to talk about something that's always relevant and always helpful because truth travels, as I just got through saying, through time and through culture. And so we're going to study God's Word. Here's what I thought we would do, is take just a little break from our study in 1 Thessalonians. What we're going to do today is take a look at something that's happening in our world today. There are two things that are going on in 2020 that um, are worth noting. Number one is there's a census being taken. And number two, there's a bit of a worldwide plague. There's a pandemic that is going on. And so as I was just thinking a little bit about um, how we could just show the relevance of God's Word, I thought, why don't we go back and study a time when there was a census taken and because some things weren't done the way they ought be done and because some focuses or because our, um, our mind's eye or the leader's mind's eye wasn't where it should be, there was a plague. Now, I want to just say right from the top here, I don't believe that this particular coronavirus plague is because we're taking a census. There's lots of reasons for our world to have a plague. <laughs> we don't need a census to... Uh, um, I guess, give God a reason to get our attention. And I'm really glad that in all things, God's always trying to get our attention because he loves us. And um, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts to us in our pain. And when things are disrupted, it does have a tendency to make us just reorient our affections and our attentions. And so we're always, as believers, called to set our mind on the things that are above and not on the things that are on the earth. And so let's take advantage of this time right now that might make our hearts and certainly the world's a little bit more receptive to things that are true beyond the particular day that they are in. So um, let's take a particular look at uh, 2 Samuel 24. Open your Bibles. Uh, I, I would love for you to run and get your Bible. I hope you've got your Bible. And listen, I always tell my children that you should never go somewhere when you're meeting with somebody that you believe is gonna to speak to you. And every time you go to God's word, I hope you believe you're meeting with somebody who wants to speak to you without a pen in your hand and without a journal or paper to write it down. Now we've got sermon notes. They're gonna help you with your own um, ability to go back and reflect on some of the things that we're talking about. As always, you can get those at watermark.org. But let me encourage you to take notes live. It shows and models for other active listening. It shows interest in the topic. It shows humility and God's opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. So bring your Bible when we gather together and certainly open your Bible right now. So there's an entire book of the Bible that is um, really named after the census. And it's the book of Numbers. It's when um, God had um, commanded the nation of Israel to uh, number itself. This is what well, I wanna read to you here in, in Numbers chapter one, um, verses two and three. God tells Moses, take a census of all the congregation of the sons of Israel by their families, by their father's households, according to the number of names, every male, head by head, from 20 years old and upward, whoever's able to go out to war in Israel, you and Aaron shall number them by their armies. And God told Moses to do this. Now, what's really important is this isn't the first revelation in your Bible about what to do when you take a census. And you're gonna find out that God is going to hold the king accountable when he doesn't pay attention to what he's already said. Same is true for you and I. Let's just stop right now and pray that we can pay attention together. So Father, I thank you 
that if we humble ourselves and tremble at your word because we don't want to miss it, that you are always so gracious um, to be for us in our humility. Father, we don't want to lean on our own understanding in all our ways. We want to acknowledge you. And so I pray during this little moment where I'm going to open up my Bible with friends and study that you want to speak to me, you want to lead me, you want to guide me, so open the eyes of my heart. Father, conform me into the image of your son. Make me a good king. Make me the best of men, the best of women. Make me the best um, young adult, young child. And I know that that will happen when I'm attentive to your word. I don't just fly through it, but I'm careful to apply it diligently to my heart. Let us not, Father, be just merely hearers who delude themselves, but doers of the word. So teach us now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So here's what I want to do. Um, I want to go to 2 Samuel chapter 24. Now, it's important to kind of set the table a little bit. Let me give you a little context. Uh, I don't have time to go back and read to you First and Second Samuel. You probably have time. But uh, in First and Second Samuel, you are introduced to a character in the Bible by the name of David. And David is um, a man of no small import in the Scripture. And a guy that's called a man after God's own heart. There's a real truth real quick I did on David. Um, and it was basically how could David be a man after God's own heart when David is most famous not just for um, falling a giant, but for being a giant of the faith that fell. And we all know what David did, that he, uh, if you're a VeggieTales fan, uh, he had a tub full of rubble duckies, and he looked down, he saw a guy with just one rubber duck, and he wanted that one. So uh, I assume there's kids in the room, so if they don't yet know what else David did, you can maybe explain it to them in your own way. But David made a horrible mistake in that particular moment. And... Um, Yet he was still called after that, a man after God's own heart. That should encourage you. Go watch that real truth real quick and take about seven minutes and be encouraged as to why God could say that about David, though he made that terrible mistake with another man's rubber duck. You're also going to see David make a terrible mistake here, a terrible mistake that led to the deaths of 70,000 people. After this, he was still called a man after God's own heart. Pretty incredible. We have a very, very gracious God. So let's spend some time reading together. Um, 2 Samuel 24, it's the end of David's life. David had already made um, the, the terrible mistake I just mentioned about. He had already um, failed as a father to shepherd and lead his family. He had um, already lost his kingdom to a son that uh, wanted desperately the power that David had. And he had been restored back as the leader of Israel. Now, after all these things, we show up in 2 Samuel chapter 24. It is the last of the stories of David. And so here we go. It says, now again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. What's really interesting about this particular um, phrase right here is um, this same story is told in 1 Chronicles 21. Okay, um, I'm reading to you, by the way, out of the NAS. I don't know uh, what scripture you have. If you wanna know what scripture you should read, um, I would tell you what, what Bible you should read. There's a real truth real quick on um, Bible translations, which we'll link to in the show notes that you can go look at and you'll understand the difference between formal equivalence and, equivalence and dynamic equivalence. Um, I, I read the NAS just to let you know because it's the Bible that I've been reading for decades and that I've memorized most of the scripture out of. Um, and so 
go check out that real truth real quick. If you're just starting the New Living Translation, I highly recommend to you. The Net Bible is free and online. ESV is certainly a lot of places uh, that is excellent and it's as close to the NAS as anything that's out there. And then a lot of you guys read the NIV, but here's what I would just say. When people ask me what Bible should I read, I go, the Bible you're going to read. And uh, make sure in reading it, you don't just read it. The goal is not to get through your Bible. The goal is to get your Bible through you. All right? So here we go. Um, We see in 2 Samuel 24 that it says, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. The ESV says it was kindled against Israel. And the NAS says, and it incited David against them. The ESV goes ahead and says that it is God. And he incited um, David against Israel by getting David to go and um, number Israel and Judah. Now, I'm gonna just introduce to you a Bible problem. I told you in 1 Chronicles chapter 21 is the corollary text. And this is what 1 Chronicles 21 verse one says. It says, then Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. So what are we gonna do with this? 1 Chronicles 21 one says that, that Satan stood up against Israel and influenced David. And 2 Samuel 24, verse 1 says, God made David do this. Here's the answer. You need to know something. Um, God is sovereign. We do not believe that there are two equal powers on earth. There is not a good and an evil that are equal and opposite forces that um, are having a tournament with one another to see who can win. There is one sovereign and there is one Lord and his name is Jehovah. His name is Yahweh. He is Father, Son, and Spirit. And the devil is God's devil. And that devil, we know, um, is not able to do anything unless the Lord gives him permission. One of the things that you and I need to know is that God is not even capable of tempting us. But he does test us. And one of the ways that he tests us is by letting the evil one tempt us. And what God is doing right here at the very end of David's life, and should have been a sign of, uh, of grace to the man who was about to be king, is he was going to remind by letting David be the one that took it on the chin right here. And when leaders take it on the chin, a lot of folks suffer, which is why all of us are leaders. And when we're not doing what God wants us to do, our neighbors suffer, our wives suffer, our husbands suffer, our children suffer. So pay attention here, church, Okay. God allowed David to be tempted in a way that God knew David was vulnerable. And David was not modeling for Solomon what Solomon needed to be consumed with. Scriptures talk about how the sins of a father go to the third and the fourth generations. That's not a family curse. It's a real truth real quick on family curses, which we'll put a link to and you can go back and look at and see why you don't have to worry about if you have to cast out the demon of rebellion that's in your family or the demon of alcohol, the demon of porn addiction that's in your family. No, what you gotta do is cast out the demon of sin and rebellion against God that's in the family of Adam and the family of Eve. And Jesus is the means to do that. But go back and listen to that real truth real quick on that particular link. But let me tell you what's happening here. When it says in the scripture that the sins of a father go to the third and the fourth generation, it's just saying you learn a lot from your daddy. He is your discipler a lot of times. And so you learn to roll the way he rolls. And you are not trained If your daddy is walking in ungodliness, you're not trained in godliness, all right? You're trained in apathy. You're trained in disrespect. You're trained to lean on your own understanding. You're trained uh, to live according to emotion or the wisdom of man. If you have a 
ungodly father, right? So dad, by the way, you got your Bible open right now? You got your journal open? Are you taking notes? You're already modeling for your son, your daughter, and others one way or the other. If you got something to learn or if you're just going through some religious moment. God allowed Satan to test David. The writer of 2 Samuel went ahead and said God did it because ultimately God's accountable, okay? And, um, you know, why is this plague here that we're in the middle of right now? The answer is because God allowed it, okay? Why are there tornadoes? The answer is because God allowed it. This world is not the world that God created. This world, as it says in Romans 8, is longing for redemption. This is the world that sinners create. God is still Lord of heaven and earth, but we gave ourselves away to a deceiver, to the prince of this world, not the king, but to the prince of this world who is an accuser and is a liar and who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and we follow him. And so the world that we have is a mess. And it's got tornadoes, it's got divorce, it's got abuse, it's got death, it's got novel coronaviruses. And frankly, it should make all of us not love this world and should have all of us longing for what God intended. And we should celebrate that God in his grace makes a way back to what he intended. You're gonna see that even today. So David, there's a lot of folks that uh, speculate about what's about to happen here, but this is what it says. Uh, it says, the, the king said to Joab, all right, who is his uh, lead commander, um, uh, go and number Israel. And uh, he said to Joab, who's the commander of the army who was with him in verse two, go now through all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and register the people that I may know the number of the people. But Joab said to the king, now may the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times as many as they are while the eyes of my Lord the king still see. But why does the Lord the king delight in this thing? So Joab was saying, David, why are you doing this? God hasn't told you to take a census. Okay, uh, what are you up to? David we can only speculate, okay? David was probably trying to, um, is setting Solomon up for success and David had his eyes on the wrong thing at this moment. David thought that he was gonna set his child up for success by giving him a mighty armor and showing um, Solomon all the men of war that were available to him. Let me just insert here and I'm gonna keep maybe pushing back to real truth real quick so you can go and listen to these things. Like how much of an inheritance should you leave for your child? I've answered that real truth real quick. Some men, some people believe that the way to set their child up for greatness is to give them a great trust fund, a great inheritance financially. Now, go listen to that real truth real quick. And let me just say, there's some subjectivity on how much generational wealth you should leave um, to succeeding generations, but there is no ambiguity in scripture about what you should leave with your posterity in terms of their affection for and their commitment to God and his word. And David had his eyes, if you will, a bit off the ball. Joab, good note for all of us, remember what our job is? As we live authentically, we admonish each other faithfully and we counsel biblically. Joab fell short here. He does the right thing by saying to David, I don't know if I'd do that, David, but he, he, he relented. He relented too quickly. He didn't open up God's word and tell David what I'm about to show you from God's word, David should have done. He didn't remind David of things that ultimately were true. And he just became, at that point, a guy who probably wanted to remain the commander of David's army more than he wanted to remind David 
of God's commands. Don't make that mistake in your community groups. Be faithful to the end. And so Joab said, why would you do that, man? David, I, I hope God gives you tons of men that you can go to war with, but, but why are you gonna count them? Verse four, unfortunately, because of Joab's lack of appropriately widening the circle and um, doing what God had him do, or because David just bullied through it, it says the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the commanders of the army. So Joab and the commanders of the army went out from the presence of the king to register the people of Israel. And they numbered them. And we're gonna find out that there was probably about anywhere between 1.3 to 1.5 individuals that were numbered during this particular census. So pick it up with me now in verse 10. This is what it says. Now David's heart troubled him after he had numbered the people. Man, what a great little scripture for us to focus on. Our heart is never satisfied with sin, right? There, how many times have you done things going in that you knew God's word said, I wouldn't go there, I wouldn't click on that, I wouldn't speak that way, I wouldn't live out of that emotion that would just go, but it's gonna feel good, it's gonna make me feel powerful, it's gonna make me be prideful as I give to my son a mighty nation, I can tell him what I've got set up for him to be successful, but we know it's not the right thing to do. And dagnum, if right there in the other side of sin and rebellion against God, we're just like, ugh. Sin always leaves a bad aftertaste. It's never a blessing. And um, it's always a lie. And many of us have lived this moment with David that the second we're done with that sweet nectar of sin, the poison of the aftertaste of the bitterness of the rebellion against God does more than upset our stomach. Let us remember that. Can I just encourage you to, to go back and read your journal um, about times on the backside of your census and to remember the pain of disobedience that you felt so that you can um, benefit from it even today. One of the things I tell guys in the midst of facing the horror of their choices is I say, hey, don't waste this pain. Journal it. Because believe it or not, you're going to forget this moment. You're going to forget how awful and bitter and hateful this is to your soul. And you're going to go back. I mean, we all do. Like dogs to vomit, like pigs to slop. And if we're careful to just memorialize it in the way that we should, to keep those scars ever present before us, we're going to be less likely to go back there. So sin never satisfies. And David found that out right away in verse 10. Uh, it says, David's heart was troubled um, and he, after he numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. Now the question is, is what had David done that was such a great sin? Okay, we already know that um, he had done something wrong. And, and some scholars debate um, a number of different reasons about why he had done that. Um, you know, some people say he was just exhibiting the pride, as I made mention of just a second ago, and putting his confidence in the number of the power of his people. Um, he wasn't trusting in the promise of God that he made to Abraham that God would multiply the people himself. Uh, David was, some people speculate, uh, taking a census because he wanted to be able to tax the people and, and get more wealth from himself. Um, or someone said, well, there was no clear command of God to take a census. And that's true, but there's also never a command in Scripture to never take a census. 
I do want to just stick this in right here because um, I want to let you know, part of us starting a work in South Dallas, because I want you to use this, and this is going to be helpful to you. Um, I, I was in a meeting with leaders in South Dallas, and they were talking about the importance of the census. All right? Our government determines how much representation we'll have based on census information. It uh, determines how much government benefits will be allotted to specific areas based on census information. So fill out the census information. I think there's a lot of people that are fearful if they fill it out, that the government's gonna use that as wild conspiracy theories. Uh, I, I, got, I got news for you. If you got an Amazon dot or an Echo in your home, they don't need any more information. They can listen to you anytime they want. If you own an iPhone, they can listen to you anytime they want. So if you want a conspiracy theory, go that route. Fill out your census information. And I would tell you, especially in communities where there's maybe an insecurity about the government, even a concern that they're going to use this um, to hand them over to immigration officials, It's appropriate that immigration laws are enforced, but the census is not going to be the means through which that is done. So all of us ought to fill out the census. God doesn't forbid a census, and it's not unwise. In fact, it's wise to respond to census information in your home. That's how resources um, are going to be allocated. All right, so here we go. Uh, in, in 2 Samuel, we, we know that what David had done was an offense to the Lord, and we're trying to figure out a little bit why, and I'm going to show you in just a moment, but let me show you what's going to happen here first of all. It says that David's heart was troubled, um, and uh, he said, I've sinned greatly in verse 10. And so uh, he asked for God to take away the iniquity of his servant, for he knows he's acted foolishly. Verse 11, when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer or prophet, saying, go and speak to David. Thus says the Lord, I'm offering you three things. Choose for yourself one of them, and I'm going to do it to you. Now watch what happens. So Gad came to David and he told him, if you go to the first Chronicles passage, you're going to see that the first one doesn't say seven, it says three. There's what's called a textual um, probably error here. The Bible does never contradicts itself. What, what uh, is true in 1 Samuel is true in 1 Chronicles or true in 2 Samuel 24 doesn't contradict if it's accurately manuscripted. Um, what's in 1 Chronicles 21, probably Chronicles is correct. The manuscript evidence, all manuscripts are, are handwritten evidences uh, or copies of the original. We don't have the original autographs of Scripture. The first time Moses wrote it down or wherever that particular author of Scripture was, we don't have any original copies. Why? Because we'd probably worship the copies. And God doesn't want us to worship the copies. He wants us to worship and follow him. And so there is some debate um, about what was here. But let me just tell you that the right answer, if you go back and read the parallel passage in 1 Chronicles 21, I think that the first Chronicles passage is correct. So it should read not seven, but three, okay? Um, if you don't know anything about textual criticism, then uh, introduce yourself to it. There's a message we'll link to the bottom called Why the Bible Can Be Trusted, where I specifically talk about the manuscript evidence of your Bible and why it, amongst all ancient scriptures, can be trusted. And, uh, and so, never heard the term textual criticism, higher and lower, Get that message why the Bible can be trusted and check it out. Okay, so watch. Gad came to him and said, shall three years of famine come to you in your land or will you flee three months before your foes? That's the second option. Or shall there be three days of pestilence in your land? Now, don't read ahead. You just got God who came to you and said, you got three options. One, do you want three years basically 
uh, of, of famine? Do you want um, somebody to pursue you, an enemy that would come before you and pursue you for three months and all out of salt? Or do you want three days of a plague? What would you choose? Well, David chose the three days, and here's why. This is what he says. Now consider and see what answer I shall return to him who sent me. And David said to Gad in verse 14, I'm in great distress, but let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great, but don't let me fall into the hand of men. So David said, God's either going to be involved with the famine or he's going to be involved with the pestilence. I'll take the three hard days as opposed to the three hard years. And what I don't want to do is ever entrust myself to hard men, right? Hey, listen, the Lord disciplines those he loves, but God always does it perfectly and mercifully and graciously. If you're under the discipline of the Lord right now, thank him for his perfect love, his desire to form you into the man or the woman that he wants you to be, and thank him for his mercy. The scripture says, um, that the loving kindness of the Lord never cease. His mercies never fail. Great is his faithfulness. And so David chose to trust in God. Let me fall into the hand, not of man, but of God. So verse 15, now watch this. It's pretty great. It says, so the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel from the morning until the appointed time, and 70,000 men of the people from Dan to Beersheba died. Because of the king's disobedience, 70,000 Israelites died. Listen, sin is never isolated. Sin is never just ours. There's always others downstream of us or around us that suffer from our disobedience. It, it should be a source of great horror to us when we don't model faithfulness and attentiveness to God. Now, what was David's mistake? And I'm going to share with you what the mistake was, and it's going to encourage you with how we finish this particular text. Um, I, I mentioned what some scholars have speculated on, but I'm going to show you what God's Word says is the reason. And you can find it way back there in Exodus, in chapter 30, um, in verses 14 and 15. God is giving um, various laws that we should follow. So remember, um, there's been other censuses that happened before this. And if you went back and we had time, you could go back and read in the book of Numbers and you're gonna find out that when the census was taken in the book of Numbers, the command of Exodus was followed. But when you get to 2 Samuel 24, David wasn't concerned about following the law of the Lord. David was obviously motivated by something other than honoring God. The census wasn't the problem. David's inattentiveness to the word of God was. The reason he did it was. And we know that he didn't do it in a way that was honoring God because he ignored what God said you should do. So watch this. Exodus 30, this is the sin of David in this particular instance. Exodus 30, verse 14 says this. Everyone who is numbered during a census from 20 years old and over shall give the contribution to the Lord. Um, it says, and, and it, it talks about in verse 13, which we're not gonna read above what the contribution was. It says, the rich shall not pay more and the poor shall not pay less. Um, when you give the contribution to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. You see, what God was establishing in the book of Exodus was that he was the sovereign over Israel. You don't take a census so you know how much guys you have to go to war with. You don't take a census so you know how much to tax people. Um, God said, 
what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a census every now and then and we're gonna acknowledge how many people are guilty before the Lord. And every time you take a census, I want you to be reminded of all the people God in his grace has offered to redeem through temple services and temple sacrifices. And it's God who sustains the nation of Israel, not mighty David, not mighty kings. It's the Lord who provides for the people. And when you take a census, be reminded of all the people that God in his grace is looking over sins, as it says in Romans 3, for a season until the final sacrifice comes and you make atonement for them. You ransom them. In other words, you buy them back from their debt of sin against God through a certain offering and know that all that happens in the temple to redeem the people is for all the people of the land if they'll just trust in him. David wasn't concerned about reminding the people that um, they ultimately needed grace and mercy from the Lord. David, it appears, in 2 Samuel 24, was concerned about how powerful and great he was as a king. Let me just give you a couple other um, simple cross-references here that I think are really helpful for us in this particular moment because we're gonna find out in this instance why the plague came, okay? And the plague didn't come because of the census. The plague came because we had a godless leader that is always a plague to a land. Dad, I'm gonna say it to you again. If you're not earnestly seeking God, it is a curse and a plague to your family. Mom, friends, communities, if you're in a community with other people and you're not diligently seeking the Lord, it is a plague to your community. And it may not turn into 70,000 people dying, but it's gonna turn into 70,000 spiritual deaths. So take the word of God seriously. This is um, just a couple of fun cross-references. There's no way that men can be ransomed or redeemed except by the means through which God has said men can be redeemed. So in, in Exodus, it's telling us um, how much was supposed to be given for each person to be ransomed, if you will, back to the Lord. And you're gonna find out in a moment what David does when the plague's increasing and moving into Jerusalem, God's going to have an atonement or a ransom that is made. But here's what you need to understand. There is no way to redeem men except through the method and the means through which God has ordained. Micah 6, verse 7 says, Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams? This is Micah 6, 7. In 10,000 rivers of oil, shall I present my firstborn as a sacrifice for my rebellious acts? Of course not. No, what's required of me is my soul. There is no way to redeem yourself as part of the citizenry of Adam on this world that is, um, that is ransomed, if you will, held captive by sin. There's no way out of that through any works of men. I mean, Micah 6 is just saying, hey, you can't even give your child. You can't give a thousand rams, a river of oil. No, you need something else. What is that something else? Well, that something else is what God said would be acceptable to his sight. Go read Psalm um, 49 at some point. I don't have time um, necessarily to read it with you uh, right now. Um, but in Psalm 49, you might say, Todd, you got nothing but time today. There's nobody stuck in childcare. <laughs> well, uh, Careful or I'll read it right now. I'd love to. But go read Psalm 49 because in Psalm 49, it talks about, um, again, the same kind of idea that God's not looking for what you can do to redeem yourself. There's nothing you can do. That's gonna bring us right back here to 2 Samuel chapter 24. 
Um, so David, um, in the midst of the pestilence that came, let's go back to 2 Samuel 24. It says, so the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel from the morning until the appointed time, 70,000 men died. Verse 16, when the angel stretched out his hand toward Jerusalem, specifically now, as it moves further south, to destroy it, the Lord relented. Remember David saying, I'd rather trust in the mercy of the Lord than the uh, mania of uh, abusive enemies and men. It says, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who destroyed the people, it's enough. Relax your hand. And it says, the angel of the Lord was by, at that moment, the threshing floor, okay, of uh, Aravna, that's how you pronounce that, uh, the Jebusite. So if you go to First um, Chronicles chapter 21, you're going to find out that um, the, the guy that we call Aravna in, uh, in, in 2 Samuel 24 um, has another name, and, and, and forgive me for uh, having to take a peek right now back and see what it was. I'll just turn to First uh, Chronicles 21 now because uh, for some reason, in my little mind's eye, I'm not able to spit it back out to you. But uh, come to me. First Chronicles 21. There's the same passage. And his name is uh, Ornan. There we go. <laughs> it was Ornan. <laughs> Forgive me. I'm going to use Ornan from here on out because it's a whole lot easier to pronounce than uh, Aravna. So uh, anyway, watch this. This is really important. It says that the mercy of the Lord kicked in when it got to Jerusalem and it came specifically to Ornan, the Jebusite. Now the Jebusites used to dwell where the city of David was. And one of those Jebusites still lived right there by the city of David. Now, if you've ever been to Israel, you're gonna find out that the Temple Mount was right there by the city of David. And some people believe almost... Um, inside what some people would think the city of David is today. It's an interesting study. But all that to say is right here by David, where he's at, there's something called Mount Moriah. There's something called Golgotha. And there's something called the threshing floor of Aravna or Oren the Jebusite. Now, why is that important? You're going to be encouraged. Check this out. It says, so the Lord sent this pestilence. The angel got there. In verse 17, it says, and David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking down the people and said, behold, it's I who have sinned. Watch what David's gonna say here as a leader. And this is what leaders should do in this moment. It's not the people, it's me. David's seeing the fallout of his sin against all people, but David takes responsibility. It's I who have sinned. It's I who have done wrong. But these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and my father's house. So Gad came up to David that day and said to him, go up, and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arnav, the Jebusite, to Oren, the Jebusite. David went up, according to the word of the Lord, just as he had commanded, and he looked down, uh, uh, Arnav looked down and saw the king and his servants crossing over toward him, and Arnav went out and bowed his face to the ground before the king. So watch this guy, this godly citizen of Israel, this Jebusite, it says, why has my Lord the king come to his servant? And David said, because I came to buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord that the people may be held back, that the, that the plague might be held back from the people. Arnoff said to David, let my Lord the king take and offer up what is good in his sight. Look, the oxen for the burnt offering, they're mine, I'll give them to you. The threshing uh, for ledges, I'll give them to you. And the yokes of the oxen for the wood, I'll give them to you. Everything 
I give to my king. And Arnon said to the king, may the Lord your God accept all that you're gonna offer because he was like, hey, I'm, I'm all in. I know God demands a sacrifice for sin and so I'm gonna give you um, what you need. And David says, no, this is a great line. I will surely buy it from you for a price for I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which cost me nothing. Here's what's kind of amazing. When we acknowledge our sin before God, all it costs us is the truth. And so many men are so prideful, they won't even say the truth, that we're sinners. And there's nothing we could ever do to be appeased before God. And Lord, you know, this is where David is um, a man after God's own heart. David just didn't take free grace. He didn't just wink at sin and go, good, God even made provision uh, for sin. And, and um, I'll take it. No, David knew it was going to cost him something. Now look, it just cost us, like I said, the truth and confessing. And so many men, their pride is what keeps them from coming to God. But God the Father, it cost him something. He did for us what we couldn't do. And he offered his son. He gave um, the life of Jesus. Guess where? Same mountain that there's a sacrifice about to be offered. Right there on Mount Moriah, Golgotha, where Isaac was offered up, same place. That's the exact same place that David was, right here, offering a sacrifice for the sins of the king and the people according to the census that God required. God is telegraphing what is going on. Let me just read to you um, some texts that just do a great job of, of uh, capturing some of this here. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, in 2 Chronicles, um, actually, yeah, 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Then Solomon, when he went to build the temple that God told David he couldn't build because he was a man of blood, it says, Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah where the Lord had appeared to his father, David. At that place, the Lord had prepared on the threshing floor, and this is why I gave you the name Ornan earlier, Ornan the Jebusite, it's the same guy. Mount Moriah, it's where Isaac was gonna be offered by Abraham and God nope, said, nope. Micah is gonna remind you, you can't offer your own son as a sacrifice. I'm gonna give you the ram. And that ram later was the lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. The sacrifices of David in 2 Samuel 24. Um, it was on Golgotha, the hill, where God did what man can't do. At great cost to God. He didn't just wink at sin. He paid for sin for you and me. Now, guys, um, I just thought this was just a great little text to show the seriousness with which God tells us um, we should take his word. You know what's interesting is as God set David um, up to pass on leadership of the nation uh, to his son Solomon. What David should have done is reminded him, Solomon, above all things, not trust in an army, not trust in your ability to tax the people. But what Solomon needed to hear from David is, above all things, trust in the Lord and do good. Solomon, dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. I don't give you, need to give you an army of 1.5 million fighting men. I need to let you know the Lord God is your army. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 through 20, God said, when you appoint a king over you in the land, when that king becomes king, 
He should write down the word of the law, watch this, in the presence of the priest so he didn't skip over any sections. Go read Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 20. And just as a leader of your family or a leader in your community group, as a leader of your own heart, just say, am I attentive to the word of God so that before I do anything, I'm gonna know what the word of God says and I execute it. When David is establishing the next generation, what he should have done is what you and I should do in establishing the next generation. These things which we have heard from each other in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust the faithful men and will teach others also. We don't tell men that you're gonna be fine because you've got money, because you've got armies, because you've got power, because you don't have a plague. No, you tell men they're gonna be fine because the Lord their God is with him. What David should have told his son Solomon was this. This is 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse nine and 10, and we close with this. As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father, Serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. And so it says in verse 10, consider now, for the Lord uh, has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be courageous and act. Church, watermark. What's behind me is not the church. What I'm speaking to is the church. And the Lord has told you that you can build the temple of the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 says, hey, don't you know that your body is the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you? So what are you doing to build the temple? you know that it's only through the grace of God that you can become a holy man or a woman, okay? By trusting in God's provision for you on Golgotha, does the plague of sin move past you? God gave Solomon the right to build the temple, and David said, be courageous and act. Get about it, and just know that he's there if you seek him. But if you ignore him, it's gonna be more expensive than a 70,000-person plague. It's gonna cost you forever. Lots of people in the world right now that are concerned about the coronavirus and the plague. And you need to let them know there's a God who was so concerned about them that he provided for them what they could never provide for themselves. As you, in your own life, uh, become the men and the women that God wants you to be, as you become the people of God, the church of God, Christ in you, the hope of glory for a watching world, would you tell the world as his ambassador, what Christ has done for them. So grateful for you, church. I'm so proud of you, church. May we not be flippant with the word of God. May we not think that passing on to our posterity wealth or power or privilege or anything that man can give is the primary thing we should pass on. What we should pass on is an affection for God's word and the knowledge that they seek him, they will find him. Grace is available to you and I and grace should be made known to others through you and I. So we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we might present every man completing Christ. For this purpose, God has left you here to labor according to his power, which mightily works within you. So be about it, church. I'm grateful to be a member of this body. 
and a person who's receiving the gracious gifts of God with you. It's just been fun to study God's word with you. I look forward to doing it again. I hope you do it with each other. Until we meet again soon, we'll keep you updated. Let me pray for you. And then uh, let's charge into being faithful in our neighborhoods, in our communities today. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for my friends. Would you be glorified as we try and live as your people by seeking you with all of our heart, by leaning not on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledging you. You are a good and kind God, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, gang. Have a great week of worship.